Hello, Anadotians. Magic Mira here. Before the fool comes to the studio, uh, excuse me, cue that, uh, cue the Molly music. Uh, I shall go first. Oh, we all know, Belts, it was all luck. Because you most certainly are going to cuck. He'll say he went five for six. He almost won them all. <laughs> Indiana, Western Kentucky. Belts, you are extremely lucky. But, oh, yes, Belts is back. His picks are like perfect teeth in Great Britain. Bet with him this week. I'd be better off going down on Hillary Clinton. Ask him now if he was a hotel. He'd say he was the Ritz, more like the Radisson. And, oh, yes, you'll cuck and probably tell us all about James Madison. This man thinks he's a tiger now. He's a mere kitten. His putrid logic's hole is larger than Paris Hilton's. Oh, yes, belts, so profound and like Teddy KGB. And you won't be pushed around. <laughs> this man thinks he has it made. But as far as this magic mirror goes regarding his picks, yes, I'll continue to fade. And you should too. Seriously, this man is doo-doo. His picks are trash. Trust me, it's all going down this week. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 118, Find Your Focus. I'm your host, Danny Belts. Find your focus. Belts, did you find it last week? You finally won a couple games. Sing it, Kenny. Kenny Loggins, ladies and gentlemen, probably wondering why I whispered that. Well, I'm at my national business meeting up here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I have co-workers probably sleeping in the rooms next to me. They already think I'm crazy enough as it is. So in an attempt not to ratchet up <laughs> the intensity on that, I'm going to try to keep this one down a notch or two, if you don't mind. We have a loaded baked potato today, as I like to say. The drunk neighbor comes in on a monologue, and he trolls me in the very beginning. Good for him. But he delivers nonetheless. Bro Exotic is coming on. Boy, does he have a doozy. He is 0 for 2, looking to break out of it. I think he was on an underdog this time. Look out. Tommy Bench is back. We've missed him for a little bit here. He's got to talk about Mathis Vineyard. Oh, some DeSantis Airlines there. I'm sure you know all that. Yes, yes. It's just going to be a really nice, probably shorter episode today as I have to do this uh, with some sort of containment, some level of conduct appropriate for the hotel setting uh, that I am in currently. But nonetheless, I plan to deliver a good show. As I always do, or at least I try to. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. Hey, if you're not doing anything, sitting at an airport bar, reach out, touch a brother at the bar, and tell him about the Sports Antidote today. As our listenership continues to increase, couldn't have happened at a better time. Look, had a good week last week, five for six. I don't even want to talk about those games. I want to talk about the one that I lost. Okay, I had Iowa. Nevada over the 30, 38 and a half. And Iowa scores two touchdowns early, just what I thought. It would open up Nevada some to be able to pass, but what Danny Belts didn't do is check the weather. And one thing that is always a donkey move is, and I've seen this a lot, is when people think that bad weather 
means the game's going under. That, that could not be farther from the truth. As my brothers would tell you, years ago when the Lions played the Eagles in a sideways snowstorm, I believe Deshaun Jackson or whatever his name is returned about 62 punts or was it Shady McCoy? I don't know. They scored 13 in the first half and 100 in the second half and we lost. What puts games under is wind. Wind, not rain. And I'm telling you. Well, anyway, this was a sideways thunderstorm. The game was stopped five times. It lasted about 100 hours. I believe they called it somewhere around like quarter to two in the morning, and it went under 27 to nothing. Uh, Iowa just really put the brakes on after throwing the ball effectively, which we thought they could, but I really reached for that one. Now Iowa (laughs) plays Rutgers. The over-under is 34. I have never seen a college total at 34. It'll probably go under 13. I mean, let's just be honest. Iowa's offense is anemic. Nevada's defense is horrible. And they really could have stepped on them if they wanted to. But Ferentz takes the high road and he cocks. He cocks hardcore, if you didn't know. So Kirk Ferentz, good guy. But man, we just can't rely on you for anything. Now, can we? So today's episode... There's a couple points I want to talk about. I am going to talk about a poker story. Don't roll your eyes. Don't roll your eyes. It's very pertinent to the subject matter as well as on the other side of the field, a situation I was in recently in a very important sales meeting. I've talked about this once on here and it happened to me again. And both stories are of the same nature but with a different conclusion and a different consequence nonetheless. So mental focus, right, or like concentration refers to the ability of an individual to direct a mental effort to the most relevant information in the environment. And that is a perfect definition. And it is something that uh, I am starting to find a clearer vision of. I've never actually had focus. But when I talk about focus, I don't mean focus the terms of what your teacher would tell you to do when focus just meant shut up and pay attention, but then you're not really paying attention. You're just not talking. You're thinking about the Playboy magazine you saw when you were 13 a couple days ago or the game, the sandlot, we're going fishing, all these things. I've always had a problem focusing, but I have found that my focus can be uh, a concentrated effort, but only in short bursts. And in those short bursts, I really reach like the pinnacle of what my brain will allow me to do. Unfortunately, I'm not that smart. And oh, you're just saying that. No, actually, no. Three weeks ago when I was in Alabama, I paid $95 to have this IQ test done in person. I went. My customer said his son had a very high IQ, just tested it. And I said, you know what? I'm a little different now. I really want to, I think I'm a little smarter than I am. I went in there and took the test and found out I'm actually a lot stupider than I thought. So that was really interesting. (laughs) So I knew that going in. Uh, But the thing is, is that when I mean focus, I mean I myself am able to get to a certain level and that's going to be as high as I can go. But I wish I could stay there, but I can only manage to keep this focus going for a certain period of time. If you've seen the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper, you know, everybody wanted that pill after that movie, right? Well, imagine like being able to do that, but only for like two minutes instead of like the three hours when he can start, you know, day trading and making 65,000 times his initial return and all these other things. What a great underrated movie that was. Awesome movie. 
So the reason I want to bring this up is because now that things are a little more clear to me, and I'm not as smart as I thought that I was going to be, <laughs> at least I, I, had to, I had to check. I had to check. And well, when they give you the results, you're like, you sure about that? You want to check it again? Like, nope, nope, pretty accurate. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> God damn it. I was always trying to nail that circle into the square as a kid. No, nothing's changed. But in this instance, I want to talk about a the ability I have now to focus, and it's not anything, this is not a bragging part of it. I'm going to show you the difference and where I really want to be. And what I'm hoping you can pull out of this is maybe you can kind of evaluate, you know, what you do when it's time to focus, when the pressure is on and you have to think quickly, you have to be accurate in your thought process. It has to be deliberate and it has to be precise because whatever spits out of your mouth or in your head needs to be the right thought or the right words. Otherwise, well, your focus was for naught. I'm at a very big poker game weeks ago. Boston Dan and I have gone in business together, but I have not played as much, and he wants to back me for 40%. We talked about this not too long ago, a few months ago. As my poker, um, this is where I really thought, or I started to know that my focus was getting at a higher level because I'm not necessarily just looking at my cards. Of course, your cards are important, and I'm not going to tell you it doesn't matter what you have, but you'd be surprised when you sit down with a certain caliber of people how it really doesn't matter, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, can somebody always have it? No, they can't. But if you want to find out what they have, well, you can find out, and it could be a very costly decision on your end. I'm at a 2-5 table in the Gulf Coast, right there in Biloxi, the biggest poker room. The Beau Rivage has uh, an unbelievable setting there, and a 2-5 table is the highest that they offer. Every now and again, they'll do a 5-10 game on a Friday or Saturday night. You got to have about $10,000 to buy into that to be safe. You have ten grand sitting right in front of you in chips. That's a little too much for me. 2-5, you have to have a lot too, but you will see a higher caliber of player, not always, but mostly, uh, but what you will see is a higher level of focus. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about category players. There are no category A players at these tables, typically. You're looking at Bs. You're looking at Cs. Uh, you're looking at guys. And, and in that episode, it was going to be too long. There's actually A1, A2, A3, A4, B1, B2, B3, and then C1, C2, C3, and C4. But that doesn't matter. We don't need to know the sublets of each one. You just had to know the broader scope of the three and then I, there was a D but he's kind of a unicorn or maybe he was lucky or maybe he's David Blaine I don't know he's a magician he was guessing people's cards like Daniel Negreanu but the point is is at this table you're going to see a higher level of focus one of the guys at the table was bearing a bracelet of the gold variety type this is a world series poker bracelet he did not win the main event, but in 2009, he won the Omaha High Low event, $5,000 buy-in. He won the whole thing, and apparently he has three top 10 finishes in the World Poker Tour. By far the higher, highest caliber of player I've played against. There was two other professionals at the table, and there sat Danny Belts with enough money to bang around in here, but there was a couple guys with a lot of money. But it was one of those times where I didn't want to play 1-3. I wanted to play 2-5. I'm going to sit down with the better players, and we're going to do this. And so we did. And so 
focus, right? This is an example of how I'm able to channel things. And the next story is going to be how I can't. So stick around for that one. But in this instance, this was a really uh, a very special hand. So I know that if you do not know how poker goes, I'll make this very easy to understand. So I'm in middle position. What does that mean? Exactly what it sounds like. I'm in position in the middle. Not too far to the beginning, not too far to the end of it. I'm in the middle. And in poker, the farther away you are from the beginning, the better things are. Because when you're on the button, the dealer button, before the flop, you are basically, you're going to be second to last to act pre-flop, but after the flop, you are last to act. And why is that important? Because you get to attain all of the information of what people are going to do, because in order for it to be your turn, turn, they've already had to make their decision. Are they going to fold? Are they going to call? Are they going to raise or re-raise? Things like that. So I'm in the middle and there is a $25 bet. So there's the initial bet. The blinds are $2 and $5. So if you wanted to just call, you'd throw out $5. No one at this table is calling early in position to see a flop. That's an A move. There are no A players at this table. So there's a $25 bet, and then there's a $75 three bet. So there's the first raise on the table. That's two spots to the right of me. And the next guy calls that $75, which is interesting because he's the guy that's – he's one of the guys that's pretty good. And I am to the left of him, and I check my cards, and I have a suited ace-king. That is a very big hand. Now, I know how to play ace-king. They call it Anacornikova because it sometimes looks a lot hotter than what it can do as her ability on the tennis court was not nearly as she appeared while she played on the tennis court. So in this instance, there's a lot of ways you can go broke quick with this hand. I actually handle this hand really well. And in this position, I know exactly what I typically would do. But what I was able to do at this point was channel this. I wish I could keep this as high as I could. I talk about the dark belts. This this weird thing. I know it sounds crazy. There are some voices and all, but I can channel all this and it really, really, really puts me at a major advantage nearly every time I sit down. So I see the suited ace king. That's a big hand and nearly always you would raise with this hand. What you want with ace king suited a hand like this, you don't want a lot of people in the hand with you. If anything, you want to go heads up. That's pretty difficult to dictate those terms in this position on the table. Again, poker is just a chess match outside of the cards. It's like Stratego or any type of military strategy game. It's about position. I do not have the high ground right here. Uh, I don't have the low ground, but it's not high enough to where you can really, you know, uh, benefit the most from this. Now, the guy with the bracelet is on the button. The world, the guy that won the event in 2009. He's on the button, and in between him is about three more people. So the thing here you have to understand is, this is why it benefits to be late to act, is if I call this, I don't know what the other guys are going to do. I just don't know. Uh, it's unknown. They're looking at me. It's my turn. They're not really giving anything away. But what I figured was is these guys were a little tight and then they were going to probably get out of the way. And the dude on the button was probably going to re-raise. He was going to four-bet. This is something that he always does. He likes to raise on the button. It shows strength. Even if he doesn't have anything, he has position. He knows this. And if he does have something, well, then people will think he doesn't and he does and he will smash you even if he has to show you his cards at the end to pick up the pot. So I knew for some reason this was going to be a big hand. 
But really, what I wanted to do was, the thought process was this. There are two people to my right. One guy has bet 25, another guy has raised 75. This guy has called 75, now it's on me. There's three people to my left, and then there's this gentleman on the button. The guys in the blinds, the small and the big blind, were not going to play in this hand. I just knew that. I don't know why. I was a little worried about one guy over here, but what I wanted to do was is act like I just wanted to see a flop. And these guys know if I raise here, I'm going to show strength. I'm not trying to do that. So here comes kind of, we did an episode on this, this is a trap. And I'm going to set it now. So I call the $75. What I wanted was for the other three or four guys to fold. And then for Captain Bracelet here on the button, who's sitting across from me, I wanted him to raise. Because that would probably get everybody else out of the way. And it would probably leave the two $75 guys here to make their decision depending on what his raise was, and then I could probably get it all in right there, which in this case, I had no problem doing. And here's what happened. I called the $75. These three guys go out of the way they fold, and now it's on him. And now this is when this focus of mine started to take place. What I thought would happen was happening, but a lot still had to happen. But exactly as I pictured this for this like 45 seconds when I was thinking while I was telling you all this, this is just me thinking about all of this, all of these people, my position. I'm juggling like 15 things in my head, my position, my hand, what I think these guys are going to do to my left and my right, and the guy right directly in front of me. This is a lot, okay? And he does raise, which is what we wanted him to do, and he makes it $250. So he comes over the top with a four bet of 250 This guy's got about $9,000 in front of him. Uh, he had about second to most chips at the table that I was playing at. Another guy had a little more, but that's irrelevant because he's not in the hand. So then people start to fold. The small blind folds, the big blind folds. Now it's coming around to me. The guy that bet the $25, he folds. He wants no part of this. Now, I didn't raise. I called. If I were to raise with this hand... I might go heads up with him, or maybe I won't. But the two dudes to my right are definitely not going to come along here. Why? One probably has a suited connector. This is what I'm thinking. And the other probably has some sort of mid-level pocket pair, but let's say eights or sevens. God knows what the guy on the button has. I have no idea. But it's their turn to act. And they think that I am probably just looking to see a flop as well. This never happens, okay? But for some reason, I envision this got to that level I wanted to, that focus I would need to be able to run the hand the way I wanted it to go, even at a disadvantage from where I sat, and figured they would call. Because these guys understand pot odds, and they understand that I am probably not going to set a trap in this position. Who would? This is a very weird spot to do that. So he calls the $250, which is another, what, hundred and... Uh, 175 for him to go. He calls that. The other guy calls that. There's a lot of money in this pot. And before you roll your eyes at home and go, this is not how you, this is exactly how it happened. Had I not done this exactly how I did it, this would not happen. This straight level of focus that was just elevated for me that only goes so far. I know where my ceiling is and I wish I could get above that, but unfortunately, 
I know my limitations. I'll always know what I'm, I'll tell you what I'm bad at, all right? Like, I'm no uh, delusions of what I can and can't do. Uh, So now it's on me, and I'm thinking, I just need to sell this now. So I start dancing around a little bit with the chips, looking at these guys, and I can tell they're getting a little uneasy because I have a lot of money in front of me, enough money to where you're not just going to call this, all right? I get it all in. I get it all in. And the dude on the dealer button is staring at me, and he does not like this because this is enough money where if everybody just folds, I will gladly take down a pot of this size. But I had just enough money. We don't need to get into the dollar amounts, but just enough money that I knew no one's really going to want to gamble. They knew this for sure. This young man set a trap, and they all came right along. So bracelet gets out the way on the button. Now there's two more people to my right that are in the hand, the guys that initially called his raise. The other guy gets out of the way, and just as I thought, the dude next to me, who kind of feels pot committed, even though he's not, but he sees how much money's in the pot and understands that he could probably win this. He doesn't put me on a monster, I guess. Who knows? But he looks at me and says... I probably shouldn't do this, but I call. What does he turn over? Well, he didn't turn over anything. We're not going to show our cards. But I flapped an ace, which I could look over at him and tell he did not like that. He had pocket nines. Boy, I was close. I said eights. He had nines. He did not get a nine. It ran out. I took, he doubled me up there, and I took all that money that was in before we even saw the five cards run off. You're probably saying, who cares? Any other time when I'm playing, I would not have set it up just like that. It all had to go just like that. And that level of focus I talk about was literally visualizing this entire thing before it happened. That is something I would not have been able to do in the past, Uh, but it's something I'm able to do now. And not just at a poker table, you can take this into like a real life situation. And here's a real life situation. I've told, I've noticed my level of focus does get high on sales calls now. We do a ton of preparation before we get in there. So we really know all the players in the game. It is a very complex sale and a complex sale just means, or in this case, that there are multiple decision makers over different areas and different buying modes with different selling or buying characteristics. You have to know all this. You have to know this person, what they're over, how they operate, and what makes them tick. I'm not going to get into all the code words that we use for this. There's a very solid equation to all of this, and I I thought I had all this done, and I did. We are coming into a very big meeting. I've done all my homework, met with these guys several times. This is the big presentation. We're going to slam this one home, okay? We have the chief operating officer over here. We have the director of maintenance over here. Uh, This is everybody that I need in the room, as well as we'll call it their... Uh, the GM of all the foremans. So he's like the knight on the chess table. And then the other guy, facilities, is like a rook. And the you know COO, the operations chief, is going to be basically the king. But in this meeting walked in a queen. And I don't mean one you see on Bourbon and St. Anne. I mean a woman who holds a significant position within this company. Let the record show, I do great selling directly to women 
in a man-driven industry. Women that have made it to that spot have had to work harder to get there. Before you roll your eyes, don't. They have. Trust me. They are easier to deal with. They're way, way more direct, way more honest. And when the answer is no, you know it immediately. It's just a clean death. But when the answer is yes, you know it immediately. There's not none of this, well, I got to think about it, man, talk to my boy. No, they know. They make decisions swiftly. They're really good at what they do. This is a good thing, but it's a bad thing. Why? This happened a year ago. I told you about it. We have an unidentified buying presence sitting at a presentation, and that is the biggest red flag that could potentially happen, possibly happen, in a sales meeting. It's the biggest. Nothing good can come from this. Nothing. I already have these guys sold, and the presentation I have is tailor-made for them. So I'm looking over at her, and I'm looking at my... Now, we got about a meeting, a minute for the meeting starts, and she suggests, uh, can we get coffee? I have... Yeah, sure. She goes and gets coffee. I'm like, uh, hey, uh, Mitch, who's that? Oh, that's uh, Linda. Yeah, you, you, you never met no Linda before? No, Mitch, I haven't. What does she do? She's um the CP, uh, what is it called? The CPD. CPD, yeah, that's it. I'm like, the CPD? Or the chief of the police department? Like, what, what, what's the CPD? I think she goes by chief procurement director. Chief procurement director. Never heard of that term. Is that just another way to say CFO? And he's like, you could say that. Well... Imagine a car going 80 miles an hour and then running into 15 tons of bricks because that's exactly what happened to me. She is a finance side of this, which I asked these guys a thousand times if anyone from that side of the table needed to be involved, and they said no, but I should have known better. And there's a lot of ways that I could have ferreted this out early on. This presentation is not meant for her. It's meant for them. As a matter of fact... Her being in this room right now is a torpedo to an already sinking ship that is this presentation. And I know this. So I'm like, I can fix this. I can fix this. I have about 45 seconds to figure out how I can quickly tailor this over to her. I'm looking at some slides. All right, I can, I can, you know, I'm trying to do the mental math, carry the one, do all these things. But I couldn't. And looking back, I, I knew what I maybe could have done on the spot. I even went to her LinkedIn. I saw she went to Nickel State. And I was like, all right, man, we got some Harvard on the Bayou jokes maybe. <laughs> no, I don't really know her. Can't do that. How can I, I – there's a lot of financials in this presentation. But again, it's not, it's not formatted for her. And I don't know anything about her position. I don't know what she values. Uh, this, is a, this isn't even a red flag. This is, an, this is a humongous problem. The second time it's happened to me. And I just thought to myself, I can figure this out. I didn't. <laughs> I wish it was as easy as it was at a poker table with a bunch of really good players that play for a living that I outplayed on this hand. And I'm not trying to pull some, you know, rounder scene. I just had to know you. I sat with the champ, Johnny Chan. I re-raise. I don't know. I forgot, John. No, this is just more of a, almost a confession that I thought I was at a level, but I'm not. There's a lot of things I could have done, but this level of focus that I talk about that you have to find, I can find at a poker table. Unfortunately, I can't find this in a professional setting. Why then bore you 
with what I could have done. It only took me about 10 minutes on the car ride home before I almost pulled over and beat myself to death with a crowbar that was in my trunk because I know what I could have done. I could have used a different presentation that was more specific to somebody like this in a very similar industry, and I could have gingerly explained how these guys were idiots for not introducing me to you a long time ago and then actually made light of it, and they all would have laughed. But it wasn't quick enough to do that, and that razor focus, that minute, that you don't have much time to get to that fifth gear. You don't. You don't have a lot of time on a poker table to do this. You don't have a lot of time in a professional setting to do this. And this is why you take so much time to do your homework on who you're selling to and why what you're selling is important to them. The how is very simple. That's your tailor-made presentation, and that's going to hit home. But in this case, it didn't. I do not think I will get a... I don't think I'll get another shot at this. I, I, I don't think. Uh, I hope I do. But it was... Uh, it wasn't a disaster, but it was not nearly as it, as it should have went. And I don't blame her at all for asking some of these questions, getting aggressive, and then getting mad at her male counterparts for not involving her from the beginning. It did not help that I was also a man who probably thought that was a good idea. Little does she know, if it were up to me, I would have kicked all of them out the room and dealt directly with her. I would have made a presentation just for her. But it's one strike, you're out in this game sometimes. And I wish I could find that focus. Um, I wish I could. Maybe one day I'll be able to. You're probably thinking, well, it's not applicable. To it's extremely applicable or applicable, however you want to say it. But the problem is I haven't found that yet. And it's not that quick twitch muscle that you have to be like, all right, well, I can just change things now. I could have, but I just couldn't pull it out. Why? Well, I'm just not that smart. <laughs> that's the reason why, really. That's really what it is. But when you deal with things, you know, if it's a poker table in your professional settings, maybe even like a family situation with the wife, like when you have to hit that razor focus, not just so you say the perfect thing or do the perfect thing, but so your communication runs in a fine line and it very is a, I guess I want to call it like a fast moving train. You know, it's not really hitting anything, but boy, it's moving fast and all those cars are in a line. And that is something that, man, I wish I could just be at that level all the time, but I can't. I'm trying to try to find some ways on how that's possible. Um, but for now, well, I guess we'll have to find a better opportunity or in the other case, maybe a better poker table. I don't know. But when it does come to focus, it's something I feel that we misinterpret. It's, mis it's not defined correctly for what we typically talk about when we say you need to focus. That's like a quick burst. It needs to be there, all of it. Uh, and we just think of that as like this long mental thing of just, you know, it's not meditation. Like meditation is the marathon. Focus is the sprint. But apparently I just can't sprint that far for now. Things could pause. Hmm, we'll see. I don't know. Oh, oh belts, you're so, so just really beating yourself up on here, huh? No, it's just uh, there's a lot of sales guys on here, a lot of poker players on here. I didn't just want to throw these together and say, oh, look, I made a gumbo. The thing is they both correlate a lot. And I think a lot of guys know listening to this how many times they could. They couldn't just find it. It's there. You have to channel it. And when you're there, you're only going to be there for a certain amount of time. You know, and when it comes to picking these games, like I, I really try to get that dial in focus, man, I'm not just throwing darts. I would have did a lot better in the first two weeks. But what I did in the first two weeks was just I did not assess things correctly in the very beginning. And then that I paid for that in week one. And then my stubbornness paid for that again in week two when I came right back 
to Washington State with another over bet with a really good defensive team, it looks like, and a team that's not going to be using Cam Ward the way I thought that he was, so I was wrong. Uh, but Washington State looks pretty good. They have Oregon this week. We'll talk about that for a minute. But, you know, if you can figure out how to channel that focus for a long-winded sprint, let me know, man, because I wish I could do that. Because even after that poker game, my I needed to go like take a break after that one hand. I felt exhausted. <laughs> It's like a I got a four cylinder car here, man. I'm trying to race these Mustangs. It ain't it ain't something we're gonna we're gonna be able to do too effectively. But I think you guys know what I'm getting at. And uh maybe one day. Maybe one day. I'm gonna get into my picks here. We'll have the drunk neighbors monologue on LSU. It's hilarious. I listened to it twice. Bro Exotic, then Tommy Bench. We'll wrap it from there. And by the way, F that mirror, man. Did he even talk yet? He probably already did. I don't even know. He just comes and goes as he pleases now. I don't even know. All right, whatever. Let's get it going. You know, it's it's so weird having to do these picks and be so quiet. <laughs> the music can't even be that loud. I wonder if they can hear this right now in, in these other rooms. I don't know, whatever. It ain't that loud. 0-8 the first two weeks. Belts comes back. Rips a 5 for 6. Not a bad week. Five and nine on the year. Be great to somehow get out of this cellar. Maybe I can do it now. I do have a decent card here. Some games I just can't get away from. And uh, we're going to probably do them all right now. Texas Christian University plays Southern Millionaires University. This is the battle of all the yuppies within that state. Both these teams are absolutely ridiculous on the offensive side. On the defensive side, though, a little overrated. You'll see them give up a lot more yards and big plays. They both lead the nation, both sides so far in the P5s, excuse me, with the American, the P6, in blitzes. TCU basically blitzes everything. It's almost like Greg Williams with the New Orleans Saints back in the day. The same thing with Southern Millionaires University. There's a ton of defensive talent on this field. Why in the hell do they have nearly the highest total I've seen in a while? 70 and a half. That is a very strange number, 70 and a half. We're going to have to put that one on the Instagram page because I do think that's going to go down a little bit. We're not putting that on the record right now. I'll be playing it for sure, but we'll put that on the page to get the actual number. I just don't know how this game goes under. Uh, This game easily could be like that North Texas one last week. It could get over 100 by the third quarter. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of offense in this game. On the other side, Tulane plays Southern Miss. Tulane coming off the biggest win nearly in school history since beating Mississippi State in 2007 in Starkville. They go beat a really good Kansas State team. They didn't even play well. Getting 13 or whatever, 14 win by a touchdown. Will Hall is the coach of Southern Mississippi to the top. To the top. Drunk Neighbors alumni. Will Hall was the Tulane offensive coordinator. He is now Southern Miss's head coach. He knows Fritz. Tulane's coach really well. Tulane's laying 13 points. Southern Miss's offense is nearly anemic. So is Tulane's. Both these defenses are pretty good. It's kind of a rivalry game, especially with a team with a coach that knows the other one well. 48 and a half is where the total sits on the record off the bat. Tulane's Southern Miss under 48 and a half. Michigan plays Maryland. I was talking to my brother about this game not too long ago. This game, 
Tua for Maryland, they keep saying he's not as good as his brother. That's only because he's not at that level yet. He could be better than his brother. He does remind me of the Marcus Vick to the Michael Vick. He's more accurate than his brother. He's faster than his brother. I don't know. I know one thing. He certainly figured out Maryland has the receivers. Michigan's defense is not as good as advertised. I mean, they're good. But you're going to see a heavyweight fight here. I'm pretty sure Maryland can stick around. And if they do, it's not going to be a defensive struggle. This is going to have to go over as well. I like Michigan-Maryland on the record right now over the 64. And speaking of the overtrain, I'm sorry. North Texas plays Memphis. We talked about North Texas last week versus UNLV. They did a lot of things well. They even blew it up in the red zone a few times offensively. They still scored 30-something. UNLV scored 40-something. The game went over in the third quarter. Memphis's defense is horrible. They really haven't played anybody yet. Their quarterback's a stud. They have a huge... They're going to move the football on North Texas. The question is, can North Texas move the ball on Memphis? Well, if they can or can't, obviously the total wouldn't be at 70. Sitting at 70, North Texas getting like 12 points. So clearly they're thinking North Texas, or at least insinuating, they can move the football on Memphis, and I really believe that too. We're not putting this on the record yet, but I'll probably be on it. Check the Instagram page. North Texas, Memphis, over 70. So that game in the TCU, Southern Millionaires game, 70 and a half. Hold off on those. We're definitely on the Tulane Southern Miss, under 48 and a half. We're definitely on Michigan, Maryland, over the 64. And here's my favorite game of the week. Appalachian State. Should have beat North Carolina at home, right? They lose in that crazy game. Go to Texas A&M, beat Texas A&M, dominate Texas A&M. Come back home, play Troy. Win on one of the most absurd Hail Mary endings I have ever seen in my entire life. And now you get lowly James Madison at home. App State's just business as usual. Is it? Is it? James Madison is a mother F in the FCS levels. Their first year in the FBS, this team has been ready to play with these teams a long time. As a matter of fact, when App State was in the same conference as James Madison five, six years ago, they were their bitch. James Madison runs shit, all right? And their coach, Kurt Singetti, spent a lot of time with Alabama early in Saban's career, then came back. His record is 103 and 31. I'm sorry. That is an absurd amount of games to win. And that James Madison, he's 35 and 5. And they're in one of the best conferences in the FCS, now being in the FBS. James Madison is better than Appalachian State, in my opinion. And if they weren't, they wouldn't be getting, I don't know, so few amount of points. We got them at 7.5 on the Instagram page. It's floating back and forth between 7 and 7.5. This game will go down. It will move the other way. This will begin to move away from James Madison probably as early as tomorrow. So on the record, we do have James Madison, the 75, 7.5. We put that up on the Instagram page with Michigan, Maryland. And lastly, the Lions-Vikings. We just saw Kirk Cousins throw three red zone picks against the Eagles. God, he's so terrible. The Vikings blocked the field goal. And then the kicker came back and tackled somebody. And then Cousins threw another pick. But like I said last week and the week before, the Lions are going to be in overs until somebody figures out how for them not to be in overs. I'm not scared of this total at 53. I think this goes over in the third quarter like the last two Lions games. Until they can figure out a way to get me away from this trend, I won't. On the record, James Madison plus the seven and a half. And yes, I don't bet a dog lest I think they can. I do think they win. I think they come into App State and win this game. They want to sprinkle the money line at plus 230. We are taking Michigan-Maryland over the 64, Tulane-Southern Miss under the 48.5, and 
and the Lions Vikings over the 53. Check the Instagram page one more time for TCU Southern Millionaires, that's Southern Methodist, over the 70 and a half, and North Texas Memphis over the 70. Either way, I'm getting them all in just like I did in that poker game. If only I could figure out a way to sometimes fire at that level in a professional setting. If only I had the sales medal of the drunk neighbor, I'd be a millionaire. But you'll be a millionaire by the end of this season. Follow Danny Belts. Have faith in Danny Belts. Don't listen to the stupid mirror. He's a racist mirror anyway. He is racist. He's stupid liberal anyway. Who knows? Anyway, these are the picks. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. Reach out, touch a brother, and tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today. Where's the drunk neighbor? This is the drunk neighbor calling in solo since old Danny Belts is a little too busy. Well, I don't know about you, but I was very pleased with how LSU played last week. Um, I don't usually do this solo like Colin Cowherd or Danny Belts, so I'm going to just do this as a monologue. I was very pleased with how the Tigers played. Uh, Danny Belts was here watching the game with me while Mike Leach decided that he was going to turn it into uh, a Madden video game by going for it on fourth down in the first quarter on his own 20-yard line. They scored, got very cute. Uh, After that, mm, didn't go so well, my friend. Uh, I thought there were some uh, some great looks from the defense. Jay Ward, wow. Wow. He's, he's a dude. We talked to him all year. LSU has dudes. Uh, so it was really awesome to see. Harold Perkins, that scary man. That That's a scary man. We talked about him at the before the season started. That's a freshman that is just coming in really just scaring the living shit out of the SEC. So it was really awesome to see. Uh, B.J. Ojolari had an incredible game. We still have a lot to see with uh, Jaden Daniels, I thought the second half, whenever they ran tempo, he looked really awesome. Uh, still missed a lot of reads, though. But you know what? If we're going to gain yards, I don't care how ugly it's got to be. I, I, we came from the Les Miles era where it was just punch it right up the gut a hundred times. So having a quarterback that can move around like that is really fun. Doesn't seem to take too much of a lip, uh, of a licking. Um, so that was really fun to see. Uh, Kayshawn Boutte, not a lot out of him. It seemed like State was double-teaming him the entire game, but, man, did we see an awesome game out of Malik Neighbors. That kid is just I, – I think he was a little nervous whenever they said they were going to move him to the slot, which has moved Jack Besh basically onto the bench. Uh, but, man, is he just a star in that role. So it was really incredible to see. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to think about who we were talking about. Maybe I was giving State just a little bit too much credit. Let me sit my – Because, you see, every morning I go out for a run, and Danny Belts will understand this. There's a guy in our neighborhood that I like to refer to as Lurch the Cuck. Lurch the Cuck runs around. He's very slow. He carries a water bottle with him. He always has a weird hat. And, you know, like me, I'm always very nice and try to wave and try to be, as I am very fit, 
the the fit drunk neighbor. Um, but I try to wave and give him a hello, and he always just shrugs me off. And you know why? It's because he is much like Mississippi State to me being LSU. He is just very jealous. He would like to be that, but he knows he never will be. So it makes him angry. So if you go look at some Mississippi State message boards today, very fun to see. They're firing Mike Leach. It's over. So um, it was very good to see out of LSU. Uh, great win. Really remind Mississippi State who they are. And then um, around the SEC, Texas A&M, I mean, if you want to be impressed by that, that's fine. Um, I think that they're in trouble this weekend. Uh, I think Arkansas did get caught sleeping, and I'm a little. I was a little concerned about that. But you know, the differences between them and A and M is that they were able to actually go out and finish a ball game and win. Um, so I, I really like them against A and M this week. I don't know what Danny Belts has got there uh, as far as action, but I, if I was uh, if I was A and M, I'd be a little worried. I wouldn't feel too encouraged out of a. 10 for 20 appearance by Max Johnson. Uh, other where, or excuse me, um, in other areas of the SEC, Florida. I mean, what, what are we doing here? Is anyone scared of Florida? Is Billy Napier that great of a coach? Is AR-15 really that good? Because he does not look very good. South Florida gave them everything they wanted and more. So I'm not impressed by them at all. And, and all of a sudden, the SEC becomes attainable until you look at Georgia, who is just a shit-pumping wagon. At the end of the day, that team is basically becoming what Bama used to be. Now, that's not saying Bama's not still Bama. They still are. They still have guys. They'll be there in the SEC championship. It, it will end up being LSU, or excuse me, oh, it will not be LSU probably, even though it would be wonderful to see. Uh, it will probably be Bama and Georgia, and, you know, they cuck. We don't even need to play a season. Let's just make the predictions in the summer. And, yeah, yes, Danny Belts, I know, I know. But I do think that those are the two teams right now in the SEC. Um, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot out of uh, LSU this week. I am a little nervous because a lot of these teams are falling asleep at the wheel. I, what I'd like to see out of LSU is – Get Jaden Daniels some rhythm with Kayshawn Boutte again. Get him going so that we go into Auburn. Who, oh, by the way, what an ass whipping again. Do they look terrible? Is Brian Harson going to be there when LSU goes up? I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. He may not be. If they lose to Mizzou this weekend, I don't think he will be. So let's hope they win so that they can come in unmotivated against LSU. But at the end of the day, I think LSU will pull away. I think it's going to be like a... Let's say 38-7. to 7. I got the right amount of points for LSU last week, so we're hoping for that again. Uh, go Tigers. Uh, look forward to being talking to somebody next week. Take care of Anadotions. Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your Ph.D. in wokeology. Bro Exotic jumps on the sports antelope here. What's going on there, pal? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic, uh, Vice Pope of Cal, Church of Woke. What's going on, dude? Sick. I mean, nothing much, dude. I did lose a little money on your pick last week. The Monarchs. Uh, looks like they hung around and covered versus UVA, but that's okay. You got some bad breaks there, I think. I don't know. Yeah, dude. Well, it looks like, you know, mon- monarchies, they, uh, they go on and the patriarchies they uh they cover over former matriarchies as we're seeing now it's 
King's Cross II. Uh, very, very sad scene there as the patriarchy uh, furthers around the world. Um, yes. Amen. We, you know, um, we can only say our health Fauci's to make sure that it doesn't happen ever again. So, Yes. You need to say a punch because it probably is going to happen again. You should be saying them right now. But, bro, let's not focus too much on that. I know you're going to come through here. There's so many games this week. I tried to pick the ones in my head that I think you'll be going towards. Nothing really jumped off the map at me here. So take us away. Well, it was pretty uh, pretty clear for us here at uh, Cal Church Work. Uh, we're, we were looking closely at uh, number five, uh, Clemson, huh. versus, versus number 21, uh, Wake Forest, you know. So uh, – Oh, Clemson. Yes. Um, of course you like Clemson. You know, it was only a few years ago before you came on the show, they actually had a quarterback that was featured in a lot of Showtime soft lesbian porn because he's the first lesbian quarterback to ever play Division One football. I think he plays down in Florida now. Oh, I see. OK, so it's, it's very clever of you. I'm sure you're talking about Trevor Lawrence, who you call a lesbian. Yeah, uh, he is. Well, yeah. Happy happened to win the uh, 2019 National Championship. And uh, set the school's record for quarterback wins. So, uh, as a lesbian, so you say, I'll say hashtag women's rights. Uh, so you can go ahead and lose that one, dude. Touche. Uh, Even though before he came there, Clemson had about nine wins in a hundred years. But I get it. All right, bro, so you're lo- you're looking at Clemson here, right? We're taking the favorite. Who do they even play? No, dude. Uh, we're gonna uh, go ahead and take Wake Forest here. Uh, oh, we're, <laughs> we're taking Wake Forest uh, plus a TD which uh, TU obviously means uh, seven points, which TD meaning a touchdown, whereas in Cal Church book, TD obviously, uh, of course, means uh, transsexual dominatrix. But you no, know, in your world, a TD would mean seven points. So we're going to take Wake Forest uh, <laughs> plus seven. Um, is there any reason why? There has to be some sort of... Well, of course there is. You know, there's always a... There's oh, this, always is, this is the best part. So go right ahead. <laughs> Clemson was founded by Thomas Green Clemson. He was an American statesman who served as an ambassador and Confederate state superintendent of agriculture. So, so that's right. Clemson, a school founded by a cisgender white supremacist and quote unquote foremost expert in Confederate agriculture, is trying to set fire to the hopes and dreams of a forest. A how woke dare, forest. How dare these guys? Unbelievable. A woke forest. The wake forest woke demon deacons. That's right. That's right. And plus, I mean, Clemson. They're the tigers. Animals that obviously resemble orange and black. Seem to remember an orange man named Trump who loved to wear black suits, dude. Oof. Can't be a coincidence. So my hands are kind of tied here, dude. We got to save yes. the forest, and uh, we're not going to let the uh, the Confederate racist agricultural experts uh, prove us otherwise. So we're going to go yeah. ahead and take uh, woke forest uh, plus that TD plus seven, dude. Let the record show that Bro Exotic in the first week took the Lady Cougars, who was a favorite, then the Cavaliers, who do not have LeBron James, that was also a favorite. And now he's getting into the world of the underdog, ladies and gentlemen. Very interesting. I'm going to be looking for – I actually kind of like this game, bro. Of course, now I don't because you just trashed it for me. 
But I hope you win nonetheless because we have one thing in common this week, brother. I hate Clemson. I hate their coach. I hate their fans. I even hate the stupid city in South Carolina. Matter of fact, it's the only thing I don't like about South Carolina is Clemson, South Carolina. That's a fact. Yep. Another fact, it's the second biggest college in South Carolina. Yeah. Found, found that out today. But, uh, but yeah, dude, uh, I guess for the first time ever, uh, Cal, Church Woke, Brogzotic, uh, we are, we find commonality. We uh, find a common, who would have thought that one day. Who would have thought this would ever happen? All at the expense of Debo Swiney. That's how I like to pronounce his name. And he's a cheater. And I'm pretty sure he mole- – I'm kidding. Never mind. Anyway, Bro Exotic, we look forward to seeing you here. You're getting a full touchdown? Is it seven and a half or seven? Seven? Uh, it uh, opened at uh, seven, seven and a half. Uh, but to be to be honest right now that we're saying it, uh, it's currently at seven. So, Okay. Look at you. Looking at the line movement, Bro Exotic. I, this, I tell you what, this, this bit just keeps getting better. Oh, well, uh, we look forward to watching this game, bro. And I think I'll be cheering for you for many reasons. So – Go woke forest plus the seven over the racist cisgender uh, Confederate agricultural school. Is that that I just nailed that one? Pretty close, right? You know that, dude. Spot nice. on. Getting pretty proud of you. By the Thank week. you. I appreciate it. I you know I could use that right now. Anything you want to close with, bro? Uh, yeah, dude. Um, no joke. Stay woke, and uh, obviously, uh, women's rights. Go lesbian. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, champion of Clemson, even though we're not rooting for Clemson and also uh, hashtag environmentalism. Cause uh, we, uh, we want to conserve this work for us. That's right. Say All that. right, bro. Well, hashtag save the whales. BLM dude. See you next week. <laughs> UN and OAS, they have their place, I guess, but first send the Marines. Tommy Bench joins the sports antidote here. Episode one eighteen. How you doing there, pal? I'm doing great, Chief. Doing great. Hey, uh, I think I know where you're going here, but uh, you've been to Mathis Vineyard, haven't you? I, it is a fact. I, I need to be honest. I have been to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, <laughs> not only that, when I went there as a young young lad, uh, I was with uh, the elder, Mr. Bench, who was, who was on the program uh, a few months back who is a Harvard law graduate. We actually went there with one of his friends from Harvard law school. So it felt all very, you know, highbrow Northeastern and whatnot. And it is, it's, it's an idyllic little community. It's, it's a lovely place to take a family of, I mean, of course this is back in the early nineties, who knows what kind of left-wing lunatics are running the asylum now, but it, 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 there is a reason why it is a very popular tourist destination and why people with lots of money have cornered the market there. Also uh, seems like a place where I don't know if you're not indigenous to the island, they don't really want you there. They, kind of they don't like want that's you. That's kind of the thing. Why is and that? I've, I, I've heard you know a little regional airline called DeSantis Air is running routes from Florida to Martha's Vineyard. One nonstop, way. nonstop, nonstop, one way routes. I'll just tell a quick story about Martha's Vineyard. Of course, everybody knows the movie Jaws was filmed in and around and set in Martha's Vineyard. And actually, the first time I saw it was when we were up there and I was eight or nine. And of course, my dad decides to be real funny the next day and says, yeah, you know, that movie we watched last night, it was it was took place right here and points to the beach that we're at. You know, I don't think it was actually the beach, but he just couldn't help himself. So, of course, I was 
terrified at the thought of going into the water for the rest of that week. But anyway, getting on to the real reason. So everybody knows what's going on by now. DeSantis sent 50 Venezuelan immigrants up to Martha's Vineyard. And the populace of Martha's Vineyard reacted so swiftly and quickly. I'd like to put them in charge of the border tomorrow. <laughs> I think if you if you put them in charge of the border and immigration, we we would deport thirty million people in a week. It was impressive. You what? have never seen a community band together so quickly to expel and get rid of undesirables, and. and you know, these little stunts, and, and look, they are political stunts that the mayors of, excuse me, the governor of Texas, governor of Arizona, and now Ron DeSantis is getting into it. They're stunts. It, they're stunts in that they're trying to prove a political point. The political point being, you people, Northeastern liberals, don't really have to deal with the consequences of your open border policy. So we're going we're gonna to illustrate your hypocrisy by sending you some illegal immigrants and see how you handle it. Now, you know, New York is trying their best, but they're complaining and they're saying, oh, our, our social services network can't handle, can't handle it. Well, what about these small Texas towns where, you know, the, the entire population of the town is 40 or 50,000 people and they have that many people cross the border there in a month. And you're in New York City and you've had six or 7,000 people bust in a city of nearly 10 million people. You can't handle it. Imagine being a tiny border town. The reason this Martha's Vineyard thing is really gaining a lot of traction and just makes for some great memes. And in fact, I put out on my Instagram feed a <laughs> meme of Dave Chappelle. And I actually made that meme, just full disclosure. I made it original creation by me. It's the Dave Chappelle crackhead saying, y'all got any of those free Martha's Vineyard trips? <laughs> because, I, I mean, if you went to 50 random people in America and said, hey, would you like a free trip to Martha's Vineyard? Most people would be like, sure. Yeah, why not? So the idea, one, that the retort is DeSantis is trafficking. He's sending people to one of the <laughs> most idyllic, enjoyable destinations on the planet. Yeah. Period. You know, CNN um, made some Holocaust comparisons there. Of course. Of course. Because when somebody you don't the like does corollary. something you don't like, you draw a straight line. To, you know, my neighbor plays his music too long. Straight line. You know, Hitler, Hitler. liked music. He enjoyed loud music too. Wagner. I mean, it's just so my neighbor's a Nazi. By I mean, come on. So, but the reason this is, I, I think this is even generating more positive optics for Republican policy is because of how swiftly and quickly they, and in the same breath, the residents of Martha's Vineyard say they they touched our lives, but we got them out of here in forty four hours. They, yep. I, I mean, you read these stories, and it starts off with. The, the bonds that were formed, but we kicked their butts out of here in 44 hours flat. Like I, I just, and again, the, it's making the rounds on social media. I mean, they have a, a plaque that, you know, on this Island, no human is illegal and love is love. I, it's just every time I see one of those stickers and I saw it, I was up in the Northeast. I was actually back at a golf fundraiser for our high school. Uh, my dad was taken to the airport the next morning. We pulled into a Wawa get some coffee and there's this you know suv with one of those stickers on the back in, in the car we believe black lives matter all love is love no human is illegal you know women's rights or trans rights or I, I, trans rights or human rights or whatever you know everybody's rights or somebody's rights 
and I, I just looked at my dad. And I said, I guarantee that car is driven by a, a white woman in her mid forties. Sure enough, white clockwork out of Wawa. And I'm sure she had a pumpkin spice, something or other. And I just so wanted to knock on the door and be like, I'm just curious, how many illegal immigrants are you hosting at your house? You know, how many African-American kids did your kids go to high school with? Because I'm, I'm, I know the answer. All right. I, I, I know the answer in terms of the diversity you enjoy in your life. Uh, you don't. And so that's really what it does. It just shows the hypocrisy. Forget the policy failures. It shows the hypocrisy of people who don't have to deal with the consequences of poor lack of federal action and just horrendous policy that's being implemented. So enjoy all the memes out there. This, this situation is just too good to not enjoy all the wonderful memes coming out from right-wing social media. Enjoy it. Eat it up. I can't wait until they send a plane load or a busload of people to Rehoboth Beach. I, I, I mean, that you know, is I was just going to be I, wonderful. I was thinking we could maybe get to the Hamptons. Um, Rehoboth would be great, but what, what about like the Hamptons? That's not exclusive enough, no? I, I, I think the Hamptons would, would be good. I really love that they dropped them off at the Naval Observatory, which is the vice president's residence. Yes, I, mean, I did. Steve, that was pretty funny. That was fantastic. And, I, <laughs> and there are some videos on social media making the rounds with people confronting immigrants and the immigrants saying, New York, New York, Martha's Vineyard. So, I, I mean, I just I, I think it's fantastic now that people are going to cross the border and ask to go to Martha's Vineyard. They, and, uh, and you know what? They damn well should. This is the standard now. They, uh, you know, they, they don't have to they don't have to hoof it out there in Texas and such. They'll just yeah, get away they, on air descent. Them. Uh, on Air DeSantis and, and right just in enjoy there. enjoy life in Martha's Vineyard. So, all right, moving along from one political thing to the next, the election. So I, I know it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on, and, and some 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 trends and tides turned, but there's I feel they're starting to turn back. So the narrative for the last four to six weeks is the picture is getting better for Democrats, and it absolutely was. I mean, if if you look at polling take polling for what it is. Now, of course, there's a lot of counter pieces from right-wing media saying, well, but if polling's as wrong as it's been lately, it's not as bad for Republicans, which I think there was some truth to. But I, I genuinely think Democrats over the last four to six weeks were, were starting to a little bit of momentum, a combination of things. One, there are some Republican candidates who are not as strong. Now that a lot of the primaries are finished, there are some Republican candidates who maybe weren't as strong as other candidates who were in Republican primaries. And so I think that had some positive effect for Democrats. Um, two, Donald Trump is sucking a lot of fundraising dollars out of Republican pockets and not really distributing them. He seems to be holding on to them. So, is, you know, is he going to step up and help some Republican candidates out? That that remains to be seen. I realize some people get upset anytime you say something that sounds critical of Donald Trump. I, I don't. I guess I'm being a little critical if if that is his strategy for some reason to to wait until the last minute. I kind of don't understand that because elections really kick into gear after Labor Day. Um, but but if I were to make an analysis or an, or update that analysis based on the last three to five days of polling, I would say this: I think the election is the momentum is is ebbing for Democrats and has the potential to swing in favor of the Republicans as things like shipping immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Because again, that's just dominated the conversation. So 
while again, it's a political stunt, anybody who tells you, you know, that's not a serious policy prescription. That's not Ron DeSantis saying our new policy is to send immigrant, illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard to reduce the burden on our social services. That, that's not a serious policy. It's a political stunt meant to bring attention to a, a serious issue, which is the border and lack of border security. And that's the problem is you can't talk about this political stunt without talking about the issues at the border. And so I think it's reminding people that, okay, yeah, DeSantis is doing a stunt, but he's doing a stunt as a result of there being a serious problem. Uh, inflation does not seem to be subsiding. We're talking about a hundred basis point jump at the next Fed meeting. Uh, I, I mean, th these are all the kind of things, and we talked about it five or six months ago, right? When the red wave looked, looked like it was going to be a tsunami. And we said, do you have confidence the Biden administration can do anything to make this situation or your life better over the next five to six months? And six weeks ago, it, it, it seemed as if there was some momentum on their side. Just, you know, they had some legislative wins and, and they're, they're getting their base fired up over abortion. And truth is, gasoline was coming down. And again, the absolute, it's not so much what the absolute price of gasoline is. It, it's what the trend is. So if the election would have been held two weeks ago, I think the Democrats would have been in a better spot than they'll be, say, two weeks from today. Um, because the trend was gasoline prices were coming down. And so day over day, people get the impression, well, maybe things are getting a little bit better. It's the forecasting gasoline prices. If you could do that accurately, you'd be a gazillionaire. So I'm not going to sit here and try to offer an explanation where I think gas prices are going to be six, seven weeks from now. I can tell you this, if they are trending down, that will help the Democrats. If they are trending up, that will help Republicans. If they're just kind of sideways, but above the 350 mark, that probably helps Republicans. If they're sideways and hovering closer to $3, maybe even to the $2, that's probably a little bit of help to Democrats. So I think things are ebbing in the Republicans' direction right now. And again, I'm basing this off of polling over the last three to five days, you know, some some surprises such as uh, Kemp seems to be up on Abrams by almost double digits if you average out the last few polls. Uh, Walker seems to be tied or slightly up over Warnock depending on how far back you take the polling range. Uh, Johnson out in Wisconsin some you know polls came out recently that show him up although there's some that came out more like five to seven days ago that show him being down against his opponent. So um, uh, Carrie Lake in Arizona you know she was viewed as being a real weak candidate I think she's going to win. I think she might even win by four or five points. She's doing it. She is, she is excellent on the stump. She's excellent on TV. She's photogenic. And her opponent just refuses to engage with her. And I think that's going to cost her. I think that's going to cost her Democrat opponent for the, the gubernatorial race out in Arizona. And I, I think she has a real chance to really blow her out big time. You're going to um, see her name. You're going to see her name again after she's governor of Arizona. She she will get floated as a VP pick in 2024, no doubt. She Especially, should be. Uh, she's, she's just good. She's good this on camera. what they wanted with McCain a long time ago, but right. it didn't work out. Right, uh, but she's yeah. – now, I, I will say if I had to be critical of her, she doesn't have a long history and track record of being a staunch conservative. I mean, she's open about it. She said, look, I voted for Obama, but I've really become conservative. So she'll have about a year – and if she governs, say, the way DeSantis does, and what I mean by that is you take conservative policy and principles and you put it into practice. You use the levers of government and the levers of power at your disposal within the rule of law to implement conservative governance. She will start. She will be talked about as a 2024 contender. Yeah. And she one might... thing. Good. She's particularly impressive 
there are so many politicians who, when they're asked an off the cuff question, there's so many, well, um, uh, you see, uh, and, and I always look at that and think you people are in the public space and you can't articulate a response. Even if you're just going to dodge the question, you have to use that many filler words. Yeah. But most of these are cabbage balls. They should be hit them out of the park. Right. It, well, then that's the other thing. Around that. Like Kamala Harris said the word community. 17, right. Last paragraph. If you listen to Carrie Lake, she will hit two or three minutes of substantive discussion points without umming, eyeing, yeah. pausing, using filler words. She's she's just really good on prison. And that's from being in media for 10, 20 years. She, she, she really won me over. And, I, and by the way, just to chime in real quick, I don't mind. The, I know a lot of people that voted for President Obama in 2008. Um, but what really won me over from her is when she grabbed that reporter by the arm and like pulled her in like yes. a man would and just right. completely dominated her right. in it was it was almost startling to watch that as she just cowered like she pulled her in for the real thing right. like oh you want to f around check this out yeah and she's like a foot taller than her <laughs> it was and no, she, it was, she was, it was scared because <laughs> she knew she knows how that will look on camera oh, and it was yeah. the right it was the right amount of she didn't like rip her arm off and make it awkward and the reporter's going to sue her for assault but it was the right amount of tug. It was, I mean, it really was. She well wouldn't executed. let go. Right. She wouldn't let go. She brought her in close <laughs> and wouldn't let go and just gave herself a minute to just look her dead in the eye. And it, no, she's, she's very good. Uh, if I could, if I could take classes on how to present well in public, I'd want, I'd want some advice and guidance from her. So, all right, well, let's close this out. Cause this, this has gone a little bit longer than I thought. So the queen, uh, believe it or not, I, I don't think we've had an episode that I've been on since since Queen Elizabeth II passed away. And believe it or not, she had the gall to pass away on my birthday. Wow. How? How dead. But but I, I will share that uh, share that day uh, with the passing of a truly great woman. And and I know a lot of people are like, oh, Bench, aren't you like Mr. American, you know, waving an American flag around and you know, saying screw the British on July 4th and all. Yeah, trust me, trust me. I love it. I love making the point that, you know, there are countries that use the metric system and then there's countries that put a man on the moon. Uh, you know, love making that point. Love being the obnoxious American. Love, you know, Ron Swanson clips from Parks and Recreation when he uses dollars overseas and tells people to just accept it. <laughs> love all of it. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give Queen Elizabeth II her due and I was thinking about why it seems so impactful for somebody who, you know, never considered myself a subject of the crown and, and never would be very proud American, very proud of the fact we, we told the most powerful army in the world to over 200 years ago to pound sand. And, and with the help of some Frenchmen, we're able to defeat them, um, although it really was just Mel Gibson single handedly ended the Revolutionary War. But a different story for a different time. So, so why, why does it seem like even somebody like myself could feel a connection? And, and, and I realized what it was. She is the last person on the world stage. I literally can't think of anyone else who played an active role. She served in uniform in World War II. It's one of the things she's most proud of, which is really impressive. She was proud of the fact that she drove ambulances and learned how to fix trucks. Like she was a mechanic. She, no kidding, like busted her knuckles and would help fix trucks and drove ambulances in World War II. And many people my age, our grandparents fought in World War II and, and so, or were involved or, you know, that was such a, a pivotal moment in their life. It, it defined their generation. 
And so she, it's almost like she's that last connection to our grandparents' generation. Uh, you know, very few of us, if, if you're approaching your 40s, maybe, you're, maybe you have one grandparent alive. I, I personally don't. My wife has one grandparent remaining. I, I know you don't have any grandparents left. So it was almost like, it's almost like the world closing a chapter of, of world history. Uh, you know, I know there are still some, there are still people alive who were, who participated in World War II or World War II veterans, but, but it's a dwindling number. And I think she's definitely the last on the world stage who still has a presence on the world stage, who played an active role and, and then has just been there. I mean, she's outlasted 15 presidents, 14 prime ministers, seven popes. It, it's just, you know, um, it's truly impressive how long she was in that position and, and the grace and dignity and all those positive things you'd say about her and the tumult and the changes. But it, it, it almost seems her death kind of marks the, the closing of a chapter of history that she was one of the last connections and conduits to. And I, I think for me, that's why there's some meaning to her passing. And I, I think for a lot of people, maybe they don't think about it that way, but if you sat down and thought about it, I think you'd arrive at a similar conclusion. And so just wanted to close with that, paying our, our due respects to uh, somebody who led a truly remarkable life. Well, well said, well received. I, uh, yeah, I don't really have much on that. I did watch some of it. I couldn't help but notice that that cuck of a prince. Oh, God. He like the oh. loot or something. He did something. I don't think he'd do anything like that, but his wife is just the worst. You can tell she is trying to walk the finest line between not doing something because I think she's smart enough to realize now would be like, like if she raised a fist or something, you know, like Black Lives Matter, she knows she would just get destroyed. So I I think she's trying to walk a very fine line of like showing that I'm a strong, independent woman, but not being disrespectful because she, I mean, the queen is exceedingly popular in Britain and, and exceedingly popular around the world. And so I, I, it's very interesting how she seems to be handling herself. And, and in, in fairness, if I were going to say in fairness, every move her and Harry make gets picked apart and analyzed by 50,000 people on, you know, or more than that on social media. So it's, it, it's a tough position to be in. But again, they say they wanted to get out of the spotlight and got it. And then they do everything they can to force themselves in the spotlight. Your stupid yeah, podcast. And, I don't think anybody listens to that. Yeah, it's all trash. Yeah, whatever. Well, I think, I think a lot of people hate listened like I did. You had to listen for at least six or seven minutes before you could give it a thumbs down. So I put it on mute, let it run, and kept pressing thumbs down until it finally let me do it. So <laughs> I, I think uh, that's where a lot of listens came from. Well, there you go. Now we know where all 17 came from. But all right, Tommy Bench, went a little long there, but that's okay. Good material. Anything you want to close with there, pal? Just looking forward to the next the next six to seven weeks are going to be really interesting. I know I'll personally be out block walking and knocking on doors and reminding reliable Republicans to go vote. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think there is some shifting tide. and I think things are going to come back to being focused on issues and not nonsense, things that really affect people's pocketbooks. But but we All shall right. see. We shall see. All right, man. I look forward to having you on next week. All right. Out here. Thanks. Oregon plays Washington State this week. I forgot to talk about this game. Well, if they beat Oregon, 
which they very well might. I guess that over five and a half is going to be cashing in October. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. Maybe even before then. No, it's impossible. Thanks to Tommy Bench for jumping on the Sports Antelope with Bro Exotic. And also the Drunk Neighbor for coming in with this monologue. Appreciate that a lot, bro. Look forward to having a great one. Episode 119. I'll be screaming next time. I don't like being quiet. It doesn't really fit me too well anyway. I'm going to nail these picks. Reach out and touch a brother. And tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Keep it real and it oceans.